This is the Airport Experience News Podcast, and I would like to know, have you subscribed? Because if you haven't, I would love for you to do so. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. And if you want to listen on your computer, just visit our site at airportxnews.com slash podcast. Either way, you also have access to our long and growing catalog of episodes that I have to say are still a great listen. So this is episode 43, and here I chat with my very old dear friend, Roddy McGowan. I've known Roddy for as long as I've been in this industry, and of course many in this industry know Roddy as a person, or at the very least by his very beautiful and melodic Scottish accent. Anyway, Roddy is the Chief Development Officer for Marshall Retail Group, and he and I chat about the state of the industry, MRG's place in it, and naturally, the future. So here's my conversation with Roddy McGowan. So I'm here with Roddy McGowan, the Chief Development Officer for Marshall Retail Group. Roddy, my old friend. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me. And by the way, I mean old friend, not as an age, but because we've known each other for a long time. Old. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much, Ramon. And uh, no, it's an absolute delight to be, to be speaking to you uh, today. So thanks very much. Excellent. So... Of the many reasons I wanted to speak to you, uh, other than to hear your melodic uh, voice, <laughs> is because over the last couple of years, you know, um, there's been a lot of going on in airport retail. And for me, it's been really exciting. I don't know how it looks or feels uh, from your side. So let's just get at it. Let's first talk about the acquisitions. You've seen growth by some and reentry into this market by others. You know, just comment on that. Sure, I, I think it's uh, it, it's absolutely fascinating. Well, the industry is fascinating, Ramon. Um, I mean, you, you talked about it, you know it's been a great experience for you just to sort of like watch what goes on in the industry. And, and I think if if you're in it and you're passionate about what you do, you could be nothing else other than excited about what goes on in the market. Um, and primarily from a from a development point of view, just briefly talking about that, you know, it's it just sets up constant challenges and ultimately. Everybody who's who's out there and trying to do a good job does do a good job. Ultimately, the industry improves. So, putting that aside, I, I think um, in, in terms of acquisitions, um, you know, companies get to different stages in their development, uh, looking to move on. Uh, particularly relevant, probably when it comes to uh, folks who are or were ACDBE qualified, looking for an exit strategy. Uh, not always easy because. Once you get to a certain size based on their success, you know, they, they, they can't just um, pass it on to another ACDBE operator, otherwise they graduate immediately. So that causes some interesting scenarios out there. And then there's other companies that, you know, they, they, they've, they've gone as far as they believe, I guess, that they could get um, and, and no longer want to, to play in the industry. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's too competitive given their current structure. And they're looking for an exit strategy, um, and you know some of the some of my or our competitors um, who basically are, are looking to grow and expand. Um, you know, we're all looking to grow. It's just a case of you know how do you want to do that, and, and who do you want to do that with, and what are you focused on? Um, I mean, for us, actually, we believe that you know the consolidation in the industry, uh, you know, further. Sort of like elevates Marshall Retail Group in, a, in a, an interesting way, um, basically because retail is absolutely at the core of what we do. You know, it's our sole focus. You know, we have retail as our middle name is uh, no coincidence, really. 
Um, and, you know, we've got a, a real focus on, on the retail program, whereas everybody else, you know, with one or two exceptions, is very heavily focused on both, at least the larger guys, yeah. are very heavily focused on both food and beverage and retail. So, you know, from our perspective, other companies swallowing other companies up allows us to even stand out more, perhaps. That's kind of like an interesting angle. So I, I just want, I'm going a little bit off here, but like you mentioned the specialization, you focus entirely on retail, let's say SSP focuses pretty much predominantly on, on food and, and, and so on. So do you see, uh, you know, just the specialization remaining or is it going to be kind of like, uh, you know, many things under one roof uh, approach, kind of like what many of the operators are, are, are like out there now? Uh, you mean in terms of us focusing away from retail, Ramon? Correct. Yeah, because I mean, there uh, you're the only two of the large, uh, co- larger companies that I can really think off the top of my head that can that either do only retail or only do do food. You know, so do you, right. do you see eventually that um, I know Marshall Retail <laughs> is in your name, uh, but do you still <laughs> see yourself just specializing in that one category? I do. Um, I, I, you know, we've had. You know, various discussions at different times when you look at what's going on in the market, um, whether an airport is looking for, you know, like a one-stop solution. I, I'll tell you from my own personal experience with, with previous companies, yeah. if, you, if you try to bring in um, another um, area of focus, for us it would be food and beverage, you, you can effectively turn an organization upside down unless you are prepared to have it as a standalone area, bring in the resource to be able to focus on it. Sure, it's, it's the same client base. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ultimately, you're playing in the same areas of terminals, etc. But actually operating and then delivering something in a real strong quality way on an ongoing basis requires or would require a significant investment. Now, I mean, you can look at some of our competitors that have done that, Ramon, with, with varying degrees of success. But I would think that, you know, if you ask them to their face, I think there's probably areas where they've slipped up on what they were doing. And from our perspective, we're, we're really, I mean, I'm going to sort of like, you know, this because this is not Roddy. This, this is the rest of the organization. Yeah. We're really good at delivering what we say we're going to deliver, which, you know, from a development perspective, makes it a lot easier to go out to, um, the clients out there and the various airports and say, here's Marshall Retail Group, this is what we can do and we'll deliver it. I mean, we have something like, Ramon, over 140,000 SKUs to source from. Right. And so, you know, that, I mean, the warehouse that we, the, the distribution center, sorry, that we, uh, they'll kill me for saying warehouse. <laughs> the distribution center that we, that we developed and invested uh, over $5 million in a couple of years ago here in Vegas was set up to be able to d- deliver that product on a constant basis to the stores. And, and that investment, uh, both in the, in, the, uh, in the distribution center and the further investment that we've made in the organization to, to bolster our resources, all just continues to help me foster growth in the organization, particularly, obviously, my focus being on the, on the airport side. And so I think if you bring the food and beverage into that, We'll do convenience food all day long. And of course, like you mentioned earlier, you do have a bit of a history in, in <laughs> at least in the food side. So there's, uh, you know, it's not completely foreign, at least not to you. Well, that's right. 
and but I but I know what the pitfalls are on the F and B side. I mean, I, I, a great guy is sort of like part of the old uh, restaurant news. A gentleman called Malcolm Knapp, who mm-hmm. used to well, yeah. I, I, he probably still does the Knapp track. <clears throat> Malcolm Malcolm had a great saying. He said that the restaurant business is simple, but simple is hard. <laughs> and I think if you if you try and do pull, pull that into into a world where everybody's focused on doing a really great job from a retail perspective. I, I would I would not want to be having conversations with the buyers and operations when you're you're turning people's worlds up upside down in terms of uh, trying to bring in a different focus. Let's just start the next series of questions are going to be about growth, not just yours, but you know others or at least within the industry. Um, like we had mentioned with the acquisitions and reentry by some by a new company, you know, at one time it was crowded field. Then for a brief period, it shrunk, and now it's gotten crowded again. You know, how does Marshall differentiate itself from that field? Is it just because you're smaller, maybe you're more agile? Is it that simple, or is it something else? Well, I, um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm not sure I can share all the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I am recording. The, um, <laughs> thanks, Ramon. The, um well, first of all, I meant to pick you up earlier on about the fact about my uh, my accent, etc. I was hoping that you were going to confirm for everybody out there that you were going to provide subtitles along with this uh, particular podcast. <laughs> you, can, you can decide on that. So, um, you know, I, yes, you know, more companies come in, uh, consolidation, um, taking companies basically out of it, particularly in the competitive scene. You know, you're you're now dealing with sort of like a much larger entity or entities. And then others will come back into the market. And, and who knows out there today who's looking at airports and going, you know what, this is a really interesting angle for us. If you think about what's happening in the retail world with the struggles and strains around different brands and shopping malls, et cetera, you know, who knows who will come down the line. So our job, frankly, um, given who we are and the size of the organization we are, I mean, we're now – probably somewhere in the region of about 180 stores around, give or take, at any given week. You know, we've got a long pipeline of stores that were due to open. The, the airport world for us has moved from seven years ago when 3% of our stores were in an airport, and all three of those were at McCarran, hometown airport. Very easy to service from that perspective, and the three brands that we had in that airport were all three brands that we were already operating in Vegas. So... From that perspective, you look back seven years ago to where we are now, where we're about to sort of like go into our 18th and 19th airports. Um, you know, we just had board approval last week in, uh, in uh, Orlando. Uh, we're not in Orlando today. That's for four um, newsstands, um, news and gift in, in the New South Terminal. All of that growth and sort of like you get up to now, I think nearly 50% of the stores with a pipeline in front of us will be in airports. So. Big change for the organization. But how have we done that? Well, you know, at the end of the day, we've, I, I guess we, we like to say that we, we have the cure, <laughs> C-U-R-E, if you will. But we, we can offer a cure for, the, you know, like the common approach to newsstands and specialty. I think we are continuing to challenge ourselves and seeking out new brands, new concepts, new partners um, for each individual opportunity that we chase. You know, an old adage of mine would be, you know, you're never going to sort of like be bigger than the big boys, perhaps, but, you know, potentially you could beat them locally every time. From from our perspective, we are very agile. You know, we have an executive team of 10 people. Uh, the C-suite's made of four. There's 10 executives. 
we come back in here with an opportunity, somebody gets on the phone right now and we talk about an opportunity, we can very quickly get the team together and apply the resource accordingly to be able to react quickly. Um, at the same time, you know, we're obviously out in, in the marketplace uh, looking to be able to create these unique experiences. And, you know, we create unique experiences from internally about how we brainstorm opportunities all the way out to finding and seeking um, these unique solutions, if you will, that we believe that an airport is looking for so that they don't get the same old story and the same old brands that they see in other airports. Mm. So, so Roddy, I, I think I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but maybe we could take a step back for a second and really just, talk, I mean, for the uninitiated, maybe give a little bit of background on, on who Marshall is. I mean, I, I know obviously from the three units you have in, in, in McCarran, but, uh, you know, just talk about the, where the core focus had been prior to uh, those three units in, in McCarran. Sure. No, absolutely. So Marshall Retail Group now is uh, is over 60 years of age, um, unlike me, Ramon. <laughs> and the um, the company started uh, with two families, basically got together and saw a retail opportunity in Vegas. And, um, you know, they opened in the old Sahara um, Casino and Resort wow. with fashion retail. Uh, and basically sort of like starting off selling cashmere sweaters out of the trunk of a car. I mean, that that's where this sort of like initiated in Vegas. And there was an obvious need, I think, as the as Vegas became more and more popular to have fashion and a point of view for people who came to Vegas that they might not necessarily wear um, back in their hometown. So so that's how the company started. And, uh, you know, Michael Wilkins, our CEO, joined the company um, you know, back in sort of like the early 2000s. And, and his job and task was to set the company up, change the brands, bring on an executive team, and really start to look at growth. So when Michael joined, I think we had something like 35 stores back in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And then when I joined in 2012, you know, we just opened our 100th store. And, and Michael has a casino and resort background, so he has a phenomenal set of relationships in that world and has leveraged that to the success and the growth of the organization. So that, that was the history. And then Michael, I think back in 2010, uh, 2009, had started to sort of like explore what else could go, where, where else could we leverage Marshall Retail Group's strength in the world of, of airports, knowing the success that they'd had in McCarran and having this whole machine with MRG that we would be able to leverage that strength going into airports. So, you know, Michael and I got together and I joined in, in May 2012 and we set about this whole strategy of developing um, airports. And I guess uh, the reason why I asked, obviously, to educate those who uh, weren't too familiar with Marshall, but like the, only, the other reason why I asked you to give a little bit of background on that is uh, going back to something you said about, you know, the new entrants, emerges acquisitions, and, and perhaps some other folks maybe coming right off the street into the space, correct? I think you mentioned that. I just want to confirm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so do you think just, you know, looking at the state of the industry as it is now, do you really believe that it, it, it's, it's easy for people to come in? Because I don't. I think there's a, there's a higher barrier entry now than there had been in years past, maybe when Marshall had first thought about getting into, into airports, you know, many, many years ago. I think I think it's 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 always been challenging. 
Um, I think if, if anybody's going to come in as an entrant, as an individual brand, I mean, there's obviously lots yes. of opportunities. Mm -hmm. You can either go direct to the master developers or you, or you come through, you know, prime operators like ourselves. But I think for somebody else to come in um, and, and, you know, having a look at the market, even from, you know, from in, international uh, people looking at the market, mm -hmm. breaking into the U.S. market can be extraordinarily difficult. There's a lot of pitfalls. Um, you know, clearly relationships are, are fundamentally important, which is, you know, that's why you end up getting jokes about sort of like, you know, Bruce Roddy and Mark Rickoff walk into a bar, you know, sort of like, at the end of the day. There's a lot of people out there who have got a long history and a, and a lot of time and energy vested into building those relationships. And that's, that's tough to break into. And I think Michael found that when Marshall Retail Group was trying to do that in 2010. So, you know, and, and then, of course, there's the whole different aspect of doing business in the States versus Canada, which are you know, two fundamentally different markets. And then you go down everything that if you know one airport, Ramon, you know one airport. And, you, you know, you, you can have a solution for one airport, but you might have to just change that for another airport. And the politics are different. The approval process is different. The RFPs will be coming out different. It's all a puzzle piece. But each, each puzzle piece has different sets of uh, pieces within the puzzle that you have to try and work through and work out. And I think that's why, to answer your question, it is difficult for other companies to come in and to try and um, leverage their strength elsewhere, uh, but to break into the market. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, if, there is, if they have um, experience and a competency of just not in this market, but you know, out, elsewhere, I think there's a fighting chance. But I think someone states <laughs> to just say, you know what, I'm going to try this airport thing. It, it's much more difficult now. And I think that the, the market move is moving so fast and is more complicated before that it's not, it's not very uh, generous in waiting, I guess, for you to catch up. <laughs> No, I think I think that's fair, and uh, even even in the basic um, looking at this all, the, the whole sort of like economics of it, uh, Ramon. I mean, I think when when you start to talk to individual brands and concepts who may have an idea that they might want to come and play in an airport, whether it's a, a larger brand or you know whether it's um, a local minority who wants to, who who has an opportunity or a local concept that's great and actually wants to come in into the operate the airport. As soon as you start to talk to them about the economics of actually breathing and, and living in this industry and the potential pitfalls, well, by the way, you'll be doing this 17 hours a day for 365 days a year. <laughs> their eyes, their eyes blaze over, and then they I've seen that. <laughs> Thanks very much. Would you like to license my brand? So that that in itself becomes self-perpetuating to the larger companies being able to find a solution. No, certainly. So going back to the growth, um, the overall growth uh, theme of these next couple of questions, you know, I want to talk about the economics of the industry, you know, um, with the increasing cost to build uh, products, labor, et cetera. You know, I want to talk a bit about, I want you to actually comment on each of these because in some ways they're increasing, the complexity of the deals are, are increasing, the operating is, in, is becoming more complex, as I mentioned that. I guess in some ways those those items can kind of inhibit growth and not just margin, correct? And this isn't just Apple just to you, but even your competitors as well, whether it's food or retail. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I, I would say so. I mean, I there's a lot of economic pressure on on the on the P and L, 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting for me that it's, we all, I think, compete publicly in, in reality, but we all face the same challenges, to your point. But are we actually really out there as an industry having these conversations? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, a, there's still an approach of sort of like build it and they will come. Um, not, not in terms of passengers. I'm talking about um, the competition and, and the prime operators will, oh, don't worry about the cost of doing that. Somebody will bid it. Um, and that may be true. But then somebody might bid it, and then they might overbid it, and then forever and a day you've got a sliding scale and a spiraling effect of people trying to renegotiate things because they can't actually make any money. So the industry, I think, and it behooves the industry, and you know, I think you're the perfect vehicle, funnily enough, Ramon, with EXN, to be able to have and, and to foster these discussions in the industry. And having a panel that actually sits down and, and, and walks through from both an airport perspective, um, a concessionaire's perspective, um, and, and talk about what these challenges are. Because ultimately, there's only 100 cents in a dollar. I was going to say there's 100 pennies in a pound when I went to school, but that doesn't <laughs> actually so, but there is, there's 100 cents in the dollar, right? So, and, and, and for those companies, all of whom we all have stakeholders, whether you're privately held or publicly, I mean, we're the, we're the largest independent privately um, held company, I think, in the States now. Um, but we all have our stakeholders. Yeah. And so, you know, what, what's that return on investment when the cost of the builder is kind of like going through the roof? And, and, and you know, airports rightly have certain mandates when they put out RFPs, but, um, and this is not castigating anybody in particular, but I think when you talk about minimum build-outs being 250 or $350 a square foot in retail and somewhat higher in food and beverage, I mean, those numbers are unachievable. I mean, no, you that's, just, and that's you just usually the base. Build. That's usually the that's base right. to start on some of them. Yeah, and you, you just can't do that. I mean, I, I, could, I could come back in with a great opportunity and talk to our financial analysts and say, build this pro forma, by the way. Oh, yeah, put the CapEx in at 250 a square foot. If I try to take that anywhere internally for a further discussion, I'll just get laughed out of the building because it's just not real. And I, I, think, I think airports are in control and should be in control of the quality dynamic in terms of approving design. Um, I think airports... And, and ourselves and the industry would do a far better job of having many more people to be able to compete for construction projects in particular, focused on that. Um, because ultimately, if you only have a small amount of people um, bidding on it, then the price goes up because there's a lack of competition. So that's part of the challenge. Um, and then, you know, you, you, and then also, if you look at the health of the nation and the amount of construction that's going on, at various airports and just in various cities. Um, you know, these, these contractors are not sitting there twiddling their thumbs waiting for the phone to ring. So, so that, that again drives the price up. Um, and so that's only one aspect, of course, about it. And, you know, you're, you're right. You, know, you mentioned other elements here in terms of, you know, the, the, the ongoing cost of increasing products and product pricing, uh, trade wars that go on that, you know, effectively are not within our control whatsoever, but ultimately we have to live with that. Um, but that's an impact potentially on the model. And then, yeah, labor's, labor's a very interesting challenge out there. I mean, I think we all would want people from a social perspective to be earning an, a living wage. And the, 
the crux of the matter comes and the challenge comes in. When, when a living wage or when an amount of per hour is set at X, that's only thinking about people thinking about the minimum amount um, that, that has to be paid when somebody comes in the door on day one of the job. Mm-hmm. So Mary or John, who've been in that job for two years, who are already earning that, they're now not going to be happy that somebody's just walked off the street on day one and got a job and earns the same as them. So there's an absolute knock-on and domino effect all the way up through the organization. And, and so when, you, when you're looking at all of those elements, again, that's another, just another um, strain on the pro forma and the P&L, if you will. So, and then sitting down and talking to airports about, okay, so given all of those factors and all the struggles and the strains, are you prepared to give up income on revenue from, on rent, question mark? Or what can we do in terms of looking at term? Um, and I think that's that there are other challenges out there in, in the industry. And it doesn't mean that you could have a 10 to 15 year term on retail and never have to change the concept. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's different mechanisms that the industry can put in place to make sure that you never go back to the bad old days when you had the same concept there for 15 years and boy, did it look like it. I mean, I think the industry's <laughs> moved on. Excuse me, has moved on in so many ways from that perspective. So, so I can imagine uh, for a firm, uh, let's just say you are of the medium size, because there aren't that many medium sized firms like such yourself anymore um, that haven't been acquired. But you know, I can imagine that even smaller firms, uh, you know, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. But they must. I mean, this really inhibits growth of anything, if especially if they have. Um, you know, ambitions to grow beyond where they might be, they might be planted. That these things are gonna, they feel it probably more than than you or some of the larger folks, correct? Yeah, and, and potentially so. I mean, I it, it's funny how we we categorize things. I mean, you, you're calling us medium, and I it's, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all relative, isn't it? So, I mean, for, from us, I mean, you know, in terms of size compared with some of our bigger competitors, yeah, sure. Um, but, we, but we're large enough to be able to have that capacity, yet small enough to be quick and nimble, but exactly. big enough to have the scale and the coverage, right? So it's, um, I think we, we, we have an, a huge advantage in many ways is that we can actually scale um, across airports, but also in our off-airport locations. And in reality, Ramon, you know, we look at the whole industry as being, everything that we do, I should say, as being travel retail related. I mean, when it's a casino or resort for us, somehow, somewhere, somebody's arrived at that casino or resort. They may have come by a car, but they're still traveled and they're still there on a vacation or for a conference, um, ICSC, for example, in Vegas. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so they're, they're still part of a travel retail journey. And we can leverage things that we're doing in the casinos and resorts into airports and vice versa. And there's, there's some huge learnings out there that we're doing um, and that we are sharing with our client base, which I also think is highly unusual. You know, this kind of like transparency in the industry or the lack thereof. You know, we share a lot of information with clients. We have a very transparent um, sharing with our uh, minority partners. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and our minority partners, that's really where you see a lot of the strain back to your economic discussion. Um, I mean, I think they struggle to look at how do they get a return on investment if, the capex is a thousand dollars a square foot. The terms for five years, and they're now paying their employees twenty dollars an hour. I mean, you know, none of those um, were contemplated probably when these folks got into the industry. 
So now how do they grow? And the, the old, um, I think, preferent, preferred route by airports of having uh, Mary or John be there um, operating under a sublease versus a joint venture becomes even more of a challenge for the individual operator because they're standing alone yeah. versus come on in and partner with us in a true joint venture operating fashion, full transparency, sharing the gain, sharing the pain, um, but they're much more protected under a bigger JV umbrella. That's true. It's true. So let, let's, let's shift from the serious talk for a bit <laughs> and let's talk retail <laughs> trends. You know, um, this is a bit of a two-parter. Um, would love for you to kind of discuss it, what you see are some of the emerging categories out there. I'm sure there are. Um, listen, I look to the street a lot to see what could affect us eventually here in, in airports, right? You know, I'm sure there's certain demands that are happening in, uh, on streets I retail that uh, could eventually make their way here. But, you know, share with me what you see in terms of the trends on that side. Um, so, uh, well, I mean, there isn't a day go by, I, I guess, at the moment where there's a, there's a brand um, that's really struggling on the street and, you know, closing and folding stores. And um, I, I think from from our perspective, you know, that there will all, I suppose you could look at airports as being kind of like the last bastion, if you will, of, of branded retail. I mean, it's a phenomenal opportunity for brands out there, of course, in terms of exposure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they, they probably have to adjust their model and financial model to come play in the airport market, whether it's doing it through a third party like Marshall Retail Group or trying to come in and do something on their own directly with, with an airport or, or with a master developer model. Um, so, that, so that's one challenge, I think, uh, as, as uh, brands look at airports. Um, I think uh, other trends that are sort of like out there in the marketplace, there's a lot of sort of like eyes, I guess, on um, on the big A and, and, it, and its stores that it's uh, looking to develop um, in Main Street. <laughs> uh, and and will, that, will that appear in an airport? And if it appears in an airport, how will that be perceived in an airport? Um, you know, we all talk about customer service being a sort of like a fundamental core focus of each organization. Like nobody's out there telling you that they do bad customer service, right? So we have awards for customer service, which is phenomenal, and we spend a tremendous amount of money and effort and energy of the organization all the way through to, f to focus on customer service. But if you bring in automated retail, what, what, what does that do from a customer service perspective? And ultimately, I suppose you could argue, does the customer particularly care at a particular moment in time? But if you, if you look at the, um, the Amazon Go store, for example, uh, there's a barrier to entry literally as soon as you walk in the door. Right, <laughs> and and passengers and baggage and all these other things that you have to think about. And actually, if you go to the Amazon Go store in Seattle, you know that it's that there's more employees in there trying to help train the the customers than there are um, customers. Yeah. And so that's an that's an interesting angle to sort of like think about and look at that would need to be seriously developed as you go forward, um, rather than people just being able to walk in, help themselves, and walk out. Well, um, so. Though Roddy, I think I think that uh, you know it's it's still in its infancy, and I think that's just after a while people just need to be conditioned to using it, and then they'll be fine. Um, but to me, I think uh, in at least in our space, yes, it's convenient to walk in and grab what you need and make it seamless. It's it's quick, but I think it's to me. It's more the technology or equipment itself, not necessarily the name Amazon. The name it could be whatever. It, it's more the technology sure. that I think that that's that's what gets us gets our head turns our heads. I guess. 
Well, and of course, it's, it's the latest buzzword, isn't it? I yeah. mean, I think there's a lot of buzzwords get thrown around in our, in our industry, in the world today, right? And not necessarily with a lot of context behind it. You know, so when you probe and you ask people, what do you actually mean by that? You know, sometimes you get a little bit of a blank look. I mean, the other thing I think that, that, that is a true learning for us, and I think we are blowing our own trumpet here just for a moment. We're doing things in the market that are, you know, more experiential in our stores. And if I take our district market in San Francisco, which is, you know, 5,200 square feet, it's, it's a retail marketplace. We, we have this height table at the front of the store that we constantly change every six to eight weeks, which for a lot of companies is not easy to do, right? It's very easy just to put the same merchandise out there and people will come in and buy, still buy a bottle of water and leave. Whereas we're putting significant effort into this front area of the store, focused on local artists, local artisans, different themes throughout the years. I said it changes every sort of like six to eight weeks, but it becomes experiential. And yeah. I think when you, when you look at what's going on in the shopping mall industry, I mean, they're like struggling to get people to come in and, and you have to entertain them. And I actually think that people in the airports with the dwell time that we have, I absolutely hate the phrase captive audience because I don't believe we have that at all. If anything, it's at most it's semi-captive because they're there for a fundamentally different reason. They're not there to shop. So our job is to sort of like encourage them to come in uh, to increase our, you know, and turn these, um, these passengers into sort of like consumers uh, and, and purchasers, if you will. And if you, the, the only analogy back to the shopping mall is it's all about entertainment. So how do, yeah. how do you do entertainment or experience in a store that, able to, that, that, that drives people back in on a consistent basis. I mean, I'll tell you, there's public information, and I, I guess nobody ever likes to talk about numbers uh, you know, in, in the industry, Ramon, but in the district market in San Francisco, the four single stores that were there previously did about $6.4 million, I think, of the year mm -hmm. before we took over. There's been some really good, healthy growth in employing passengers in San Francisco, but in the last 12 months, we've done over $11 million. Wow. And you don't do that by people just walking in looking for a bottle of water. That, that's not what it's about. It, it's about providing something that's radically different, that changes constantly, that keeps the consumer interest with a high degree of repeat passengers coming through, delivered by quality operations, but with great range of products. And I think everybody in the industry has given us like huge kudos around that, that they, they love the project and love the concept. And the, the other piece, I think, just sort of like when you talk about trends in retail, I think it's tough for a brand to be looking at a long-term deal of seven to 10 years to come yeah. into an airport because they don't know where they're going to be next year, never mind in seven to 10 years. <laughs> so the challenge back for airports, funnily enough, is, um, you know, is it feasible to look at a much more generic style program that has the ability to turn and change over a period of time rather than here's five boxes, fill them with a brand in each one of them, and that'll be like that for the next seven to 10 years. Well, see, uh, you, you, you definitely hit the nail on the head because I've, I've spoken to um, a couple of people within the industry about this and, um, you know, some outside. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't imagine, and actually this is one of the things I, want, I did want to discuss with you, is this still a platform for brands? Because I know, listen, I came in 14 years ago or however long I came in, uh, years ago and i remember when there was a palm store you know the palm piles the pda and you yeah. know uh that came and went and i remember when it was a big deal that uh blackberry came in and then i think many months later in, in atlanta by the way it um you know rim 
retreated from the States and went back, uh, you know, and, and, and kept their presence in Canada. I guess yeah. from not just you guys, I'm sure it, your competitors probably see think of this as well. It is kind of dangerous to kind of t- hitch your wagon to a certain brand now, right? Because even from the moment you speak to them to the moment they open, could be 18 months, two years, however long, a lot can happen. You talk about seven years of a, of a contract, even within the two years of build that, a lot can happen, you know, and, and brands can oh, lose irrelevance. Absolutely true, um, Ramon. I mean, you know, I think ourselves and, and our competitors, we're always looking for, you know, another another brand, another concept that we can add to the portfolio. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, we've taken the approach on the sort of like the news and gifts side, if you will, that we'll create something different for every single airport and, and probably for every single opportunity within that airport. And that's a little bit harder work because you've got, you've got to pull things together in, in a different way from a design aspect. Now, when, when it comes to specialty, um, you're right. And I, and I think there's a, there's a lot of replication out there primarily because of that reason is that I think that People have stuck with individual brands and they proved to be successful over a period of time. Whether they, whether they will be successful going forward is another question altogether. I think there are certain categories of brand that will always be required in an airport. So you know, like news, gift, okay, tick the box, souvenir, tick the box, candy, tick the box, um, electronics and technology under morphing into whatever that might be um, in terms of accessories, you know, t- tick the box. Um, you've got the whole sort of like health and beauty category. Um, you know, when we're now living in the world of selfies, where people are thinking much more about th- themselves as an individual and how they look and feel, so that that category continues to survive. It's like it's more, I guess, akin to like what's going on in the fashion industry. Sure. Um, look at the change in terms of how we all travel: athleisure wear versus um, you know the dark suit, the white shirt, and the colored tie. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> The whole sock industry, it sort of like takes off all this out. And, I, you know, our job is not necessarily to try and predict what's happening, but, but to be able to find and source brands and concepts that will stand the period of time. But in addition to that, and we, we've, we've done this ourselves, if you're in a contract for 7 to 10 years and you're in there for 12 months and something's not working, then we should be changing it. Yeah, sure. Because otherwise... It, you know, you're just plowing good money after bad, and it's going to be there for the next six years doing nothing. Then the customer service suffers. Then the airport gets frustrated. The brand gets frustrated. We get frustrated. No return of the state. So change it then. And that, so the, the question is, what are the vehicles that we can sit down and discuss with an airport and our clients and the brands to say, hey, this needs to stay relevant and be relevant and continue to foster and change and develop throughout the term of the contract? You're going to have to be with us on that journey um, if you're prepared to do so. Yeah, and, and I remember, I think you might have actually been the one to tell me this many years ago, is that like, you know, retail, you have to hit the nail right on the head, right out the gate. Whereas food, you can, you can make adjustments to, you know, to the menu and things like that, you know, on the fly and then make improvements. But it seems like retail, like I said, you have to get it right from, from the get-go. But I, I want to go back to something you're saying. I'm going to push back a little bit, not in a bad way, right? So don't get defensive. But you know, you mentioned <laughs> um, <laughs> you mentioned generic. I think you called it. Uh, you know, 
when you say district market and some of the things that you guys created, maybe even some of your competitors have created, I see that more. And I don't, I don't like using the word generic. It's like saying we're concessions, you know, I don't like saying we're concessions either because you know, you're retailers, you're restaurateurs, but the stuff that you guys create, I think that's where this whole trend on retail has to swing. Correct. So um, my next, it leads me to my next question is like, you know, what is the optimal mix um, in terms of that you might see going forward? Because you, you can't have like 15 use stands as much as you guys will want, <laughs> right? In a terminal, uh, in one contract. So you got to have the specialty. And I understand having a smattering of brands there, but what does that look like going forward? You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of proprietary, maybe leading towards a, a, a mix or maybe an expansion of, of what a travel essential slash convenience store is as opposed to just strictly, you know, new stand stuff. Yeah, well, wow, that's I mean that and that is a that, that's a kind of like a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I yeah, well, no, and, well, it is, but I mean, it, because I mean, we're talking about the industry, right? So, yes. and in and, and totality, and I think you know, each we go back to the point before you know one airport, you know one airport. So, each one of those airports is at a different stage of its development. You know, whether it's an existing terminal that's been there for a long time that because it's landlocked, it can't change, or it's difficult for it to morph and change. Yeah. Um, to other airports where they're you know completely rebuilding either new terminals or, or rebuilding new terminals around old terminals etc um, and so that in itself in terms of the planning stages with uh, with the consultants I think and and, and, and the operators sitting down together um, and being able to talk about you know what does this look like um, I, I think uh, for example uh, and I'll, I'll just do a little bit of praise out there for um, a shout out for Alan Glock in Kansas, for example, who next week have got the industry coming in at various times to sit down with them and talk about the layout and potential of the new terminal. Yeah. And if you, you know, to Alan's point, if you've got the opportunity to influence us now, take it um, <laughs> and don't come back whining afterwards, right? And we're like, okay, well, that, that's that's a positive challenge back to the industry. And we should all give our opinions. We won't all get what we all want, to your point. Um, but I think there's a there's a depth and a breadth of offer that we have to have. And I know there's a lot of blurring of the lines out there from both food and beverage into retail and retail into food and beverage. But what you don't want is the same offer all the way through the concourse or all the way through the terminal. You can have mirrors on different concourses because the passengers on one side are unlikely to see the, the offer on the other. But I think it behooves the industry to look at what the optimum square foots are and what the optimum amount of revenue potential might be. I mean, Cheryl Nashir in San Francisco jumped right out with her team to come up with the space that we now occupy from a district market. It's highly unusual. Um, and there's other airports that are doing that to look and see what the industry comes back with. Um, and that's great, too, because that challenges all of us. And who benefits from that? the customer ultimately, which is what we're all in business to do, and the industry in, in totality benefits. And I think there's, there will constantly be focus on um, specialty uh, because, well, the airports, of course, linked specialty to news because that was the only way that we're going to get specialty into the business. We, we, we love that anyway because we're specialty retail operators as well as news, gift, and souvenir, so and travel essentials. So all of that is, is right in our wheelhouse. The industry needs to look at okay, what's the terminal? What's the layout? Where are all the passengers coming in? You've got to give specialty retail the highest amount of exposure. 
If you can get them in 100% exposure to specialty retail, you've got a greater chance of that being successful. Down the corridors and down the concourses and in the various terminals, you can have news and gift and travel essentials. And of course, on the food and beverage side, you know, alcohol and fast food, but big restaurants in the middle. Because at the end of the day, that's the greatest chance for a return on the investment, just given the 100% exposure. So I think there needs to be a lot more conversation between the operators, i.e. yourselves, and consultants, and airports themselves when it comes to planning. You can't plan for every eventuality, but we know what the, what the passengers are likely to do in terms of their dwell time and where they're likely to spend it. You've also got to try and capture them when they're walking past the space. Yeah, not, not everyone sees everything too, so you need multiple perspectives. And, and, and you know what, we're, for the most part, I don't want to say this as an, in a negative way, but we're uh, in a kind of like um, wait and see kind of uh, industry where we want to see who someone do it first and then it becomes replicated. San Francisco, obviously, and, and, and other airports are a lot more progressive minded. So when they see it done, like, oh, I'd like that too. Let's do that here. And that kind of certainly drives change. But my last question for you, Roddy, and I'll, I'll let you go is, you know, I want you to talk about the future of Marshall Retail Group. You know, obviously it's tied to upcoming opportunities, but what do the, what do the next 18 months or so look like for you guys? So, well, we have um, a tremendous amount of new stores that are coming up and uh, will be up and running in the next 18 months, Ramon, um, both in airports and, and out with airports and the casino and resort side of it. The growth fundamentally and the focus is, is on the growth in the airport. So, so we will continue to grow and put ourselves out there in the marketplace. And I think now there's an expectation that Marshall Retail Group will be part of the conversation and will be bidding rather than, um, you know, previously, maybe we, we, we did a really good job of staying under the radar. <laughs> I think that's gone. <laughs> Not anymore. Um, <laughs> Despite my best aspirations of talking loudly with a Scottish voice, the um, so so I think you know from that perspective that's absolutely awesome, and we're you know we're geared up to do that um, across all levels of the organisation, and that that will really put us out there on on the map of of um, airport concessions, and of course you know you know getting awards from AXN etc. and you know the USA Today, all of that you know just fundamentally helps fuel the, the kind of like the Marshall Retail Group marketing and PR machine, if you will, um, all of which is fundamentally important. But we have to continue to operate and operate well. And I think we do that. And we want to continue to grow our minority participation levels and our, and our, our, our base of ACDBE partners. And I think if you talk to them independently, um, we get very positive feedback. And that's just not from them directly being nice to us. I think we get that from other third parties. Um, beyond that, you know, we, we continue to look and challenge ourselves at various opportunities in the market to give airports a unique retail experience and to give them a cure, if you will, for that kind of common newsstand or um, common specialty. And, and, and we challenge ourselves. And then it's up to us to go back and, and challenge the airport and, you know, give them information on based on consumers and, and passenger behaviors and demographic information that we spend a lot of time and energy on to share that, to say, and here's the solution. And here's why we believe that it'll work, uh, because we've done an awful lot of work in the background and we're a specialty retailer, uh, retails in the middle name, all of that history and experience, coupled with the flexibility, Ramon, um, and the agility that we have in organization, 
sets us up really well to be able to offer individual airports an individual program. Excellent. Well, Roddy, I want to uh, thank you again for taking time to speak with me. Awesome, Ramon. Well, uh, listen, I, I appreciate the um, the opportunity to speak to you as well. You've done a you've done a great job with the XN. I mean, I think the whole podcast thing is continues to innovate and challenge the industry. Uh, and as I said right at the beginning, you know, I hope you're providing subtitles so that people can actually understand what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> to be determined. Thanks, Roddy. <laughs> Thanks very much, Ramon. Have a good day. 